You know, prior to Johnny Depp's divorce, I did not talk about Johnny Depp at all. I never thought about him, and to be honest, I don't think much of his movies. They're fine. It always seems like there's something interesting happening in a Johnny Depp movie, but it never seems to have much to do with Johnny Depp. It's more to do with the colors and the backgrounds, the silly hats he wears. I love his hats. I don't care for his choices. They put me to sleep. In fact, lately, I've been putting on Johnny Depp movies before bed. I love them for that, because then I get to play with the silly hats and the colors. I get to be Johnny Depp. You know how it is when you fall asleep to a movie, and the movie kind of keeps playing through your dream, and it's like, you're still watching Edward Scissorhands, but your stepmother is there, and the kids from your grade school are there, but then now they're like grown-up little adults doing scenes with Winona Ryder, who looks like your ex-wife, but you know she's Winona Ryder. And now you're Edward Scissorhands, and you're making great choices. If I had a pair of Edward Scissorhands, I would make very different choices from Johnny Depp. As Edward, Johnny had scissors for hands and a body made of leather, and with these considerable powers and much more, he chose to devote his life to grooming the unloved pets of permanently unhappy housewives and to start a non-profit landscaping company. When I would go to dream and I become Edward. No one in America has hair, you know? When I fall asleep and I wake up with a pair of Edward Scissors hands, I am the only topic on national news. And the anchormen whisper when they speak my name for fear of the ire of Edward. I still run the landscaping company. I set up shop in the suburbs like he did, and I trim the hedges and brittle turnips and dandelion trees of everyone in town. I trim them like Johnny did, in fantastic styles and shapes, but then one day, I trim them all to look like the most beloved girl in town. Not the most popular girl, mind you. The most beloved. This would be a girl involved in the local goings-on, a generous, you know, civically-minded young woman. Maybe you met her through her charity work, distributing wigs to my countless victims. But maybe you met her at the pub where she told you a blue joke. But whoever you were, if you were in town, you loved her. And you loved that I rendered your hedgers into her fantastic likeness. There's more to this Edward than his scissor hands. And as quickly as I'd earned your favor, I would earn the beloved girl's trust. I'd, I'd, I'd give her my ring. I'd let her wear my leathers like a letterman jacket. And you would stroke your bald head and say, That Edward can't be all bad if our Katie likes him. Perhaps there's a heart behind those scissored hands, those Edward scissor hands. And then I would toss Katie down a well like Frankenstein. And I'd be right to do it. If you're a Scissors Frankenstein, you should be a Leather Scissors Frankenstein. Be the monster that they've already decided you are. It's the only choice. The next day, I'd make everyone's hedges look like dragons. Now you don't know what to expect from me. You'd say to yourself, oh shit, is that next? Does he have a dragon coming? What's this Edward got up his sleeves? Oh right, scissors. Another one I like to fall asleep to is the Gilbert Grape movie. What's eating Gilbert Grape? Good movie, great question. What the fuck is eating Gilbert Grape? Gilbert Grape is the most genetically blessed 18-year-old boy in America. He lives in the 90s at the height of the Clinton economic boom. He could probably pay the mortgage on his house with a Hershey bar, but he's morose. 
He only leaves his house to fuck a married woman, and short of that, he's spending his days with the only interesting people in Iowa. His mother, a thousand-pound giantess, and his brother, a sticky-faced Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yes. Then perhaps Leo is the most genetically gifted man in America, because he has a neurological condition which renders him completely incapable of having a bad time. He is a patron of pleasures servant only to his wildest appetites, and at the tender age of 17, he prefers screams to English, and climbing the local water tower to nearly all earthly pleasures. I ask you again, what the fuck is eating Gilbert Grape? He treats life like a nightmare when he's living my literal dream. And when I dream, and I wake up as Gilbert Grape, I am the one who eats. I begin in my mother's bed, eating. Obviously, there's no room on the bed, so I crawl into a crevasse in my mother's belly button, uh, the great concave mountain that it is, and I join her in the splendor of furious appetite. We gorge ourselves on wine and cream stolen from the broken homes of the men that I'd made cuckolds. We would wet our chops and slap our bellies together, the behemoth's tummy folding like putty into the grooves of my rippling abs, which no amount of gluttony could soften. You see, I have the body of an 18-year-old Johnny Depp. Eating is the only exercise I need. I burn calories by swallowing them, so I don't stop swallowing until it's my time to delight my mother with a blue joke about the permanently unhappy housewives who I'd recently let swallow me. We'd lay that way all day, joking, my mother and I, until such a time as Leonardo DiCaprio followed his whims into our room. Then we'd cheer, and Leo would scream, and then I'd scream and cover my face with wine and cream until it was sticky as Leo's. And when Leo began racing toward the top of the tower, I wouldn't wish him a new brain. I would ride him, bareback, as a good brother should. And though I would be heavy from the heavy cream which my body had already converted to muscle, I would feel light on his back as the feathers on an American bald eagle. And as Leo soared up the tower, I would stare down from the top of the world as the housewives of Iowa gathered below to sing for me. And when their husbands came with the police, I would laugh to Leo and tell him how small they looked. Like children, I'd say. In fact, I would note that every man in town shared the face of one of the children who bullied me in grade school. Leo would howl at them like King Kong. I make that comparison not to be offensive, but to flatter King Kong, because Grape was the greater ape. You see, Kong fell in love with a blonde woman. Leo loved the tower. And when the police tried to shoot us off of it, Leo didn't tremble before the might of their planes. He slapped them to smithereens, using our grotesque mother as a battle axe. And I'd laugh to Leo and say, here I thought my stepmother was the battle axe. And he'd howl. And then I'd realize that our gigantic mother's face had been my stepmother's face for the whole dream. And I'd scream at her as she sent my enemies plummeting to earth. Leo's strength was equaled only by his bodily odor and was no doubt a byproduct of his neurological condition. I don't know if they ever name Leo's condition in Gilbert Grape, but I do know that if there was ever a movie where the wrong character was named Gilbert Grape, it's Gilbert Grape.
And I do know the name of Leo's condition. That condition is called freedom. And when Gilbert spent the entire runtime of Gilbert Grape morose, wishing away the brain of the rightful Gilbert Grape, Johnny Depp spat in Freedom's sticky face. So yeah, I didn't like him in that one. I never had a dream about the Pirates of the Caribbean movies because I never watched those. You know, I've seen the trailers and I don't like the way that they try to make you say Caribbean. I won't say it that way. And I won't watch people who do. Not a knock on anyone who likes to say Caribbean that way. It's fine if you like to say shit like that. I just don't want to hear shit like that. But I know about them through osmosis. And I do like the way that Bill Nye says Jack Sparrow when he plays the fish. If I ever had a dream about pirates, I would dream of Bill Nye the fish and his wonderful chin. But I never dreamt about pirates of the Caribbean because I never saw that shit. I have, however dreamt about Johnny Depp's divorce. Mm. The other day I fell asleep watching that video where Amber Heard is sniffing something that may have been cocaine and I watched it 30 times and I'm still not willing to say it was cocaine. I'm not willing to say anything about either of those people. It seems like they do a lot of cocaine. People who do a lot of cocaine are capable of doing anything. In the 90s, Johnny Depp did so much cocaine that he owned the club where Joaquin Phoenix's brother died. Do you know how often you need to be at a club spending money and doing cocaine to look up and say, you know what? I should own this. That's how I'll make the money back. Johnny Depp has the answer. He has a smug little answer for everything, doesn't he? I hate that shit. Johnny Depp has a very dry sense of humor, and that is a very unattractive quality in a cokehead. Yes, Johnny Depp, a rhetorical question, he'll answer it. He'll be like, oh, do you know how often you need to be doing cocaine to marry the guy who bought the club where Walking Venus' brother died? And I'd be like, hmm. And he'd be like, probably why she shit the bed. Cocaine makes you shit. I'm not good at doing Johnny Depp's voice. I don't really know what it sounds like. I don't care to... But that's what I was thinking about when I fell asleep watching the Johnny Depp divorce. Before I fell into my deep Depp sleep. And when I opened my eyes in a dream, I wasn't in my apartment. I was sitting in the center of Johnny Depp's big bed. I didn't know that. I didn't know where I was until I looked to my right and saw a big, humongous shit. A big, disgusting cocaine shit. One of those loose, wet ones where you know everything the shitter ate. There was corn and spinach and things that you don't even eat inside of it. Coffee beans. And as I stared at the shit, I felt the stare of two human pieces of shit burning a hole in the side of my head. And I turned to see Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, formerly Mr. and Mrs. Johnny Depp. Amber spoke first. There's a shit on the bed, she said through a big, shit-eating grin. Who took it? I replied, I don't know. And then Johnny Depp said something terribly dry. I do do, he grinned. And as he grinned, I could see that his mouth was also terribly dry. And his breath smelled like sawdust. And his eyes looked like sawdust. And the only moisture left in his body was in little white strips on either side of his lipless mouth. And he continued, I know who did did the doo-doo. I think you do do too. So I talk back to him. I say, I mean, yeah, I'm beginning to think it was one of you. But Amber Heard cuts in, and her voice cuts like a saw. I think it was you, you, she said. 
I think you, you, did the doo-doo in our big, big bed. She was trying to match Johnny's tempo, but Amber Heard is not really dry like Johnny Depp. It's got a different sense of humor. It's not lesser, it's different. I said, look, I don't honestly give a shit what the two of you do in your home, you know? Like, if you want to fight and take big cocaine shits in your bed all the time, that's fine, but just don't make it my problem, okay? Then I heard a familiar voice say, I object. The voice belonged to my ex-wife. She looked like Johnny Depp's lawyer, but I knew she was my ex-wife. Your Honor, she said, the prosecution intends to prove that the doo-doo in Johnny Depp's bed-bed is not only the defendant's problem, but a problem which is emblematic of a pattern of doo-doo dating back to before his wife left him for another man-man. I said, hold on! What does the shit in Johnny Depp's bed have to do with my marriage? Objection, said my ex-wife. The defendant just referred to his marriage. The defendant is not married. His wife left him for another man-man. And a gavel clapped behind me, loud as though it weighed a thousand pounds. I turned to see the judge, who had my stepmother's face. Made no sense, you know? With her criminal record, she could never be a justice of the court. But she had a podium and a gavel, and one of those powdered wigs with the rolls, and she shouted, sustained. That made sense, because she always took sides against me, even in the divorce. If it please the court, my ex-wife grinned, I'd like to turn your attention to the Maui Maui Christmas Cruise of 2008. And I said, oh, like you ever stop turning my attention to the Maui Maui Christmas Cruise of 2008. I had a lot of things going on in Maui, okay? It was 100 degrees at Christmas. We were visiting my stepmother. It was an emotional time. Obama just won. I was riding that high. Riding that high, repeated my ex-wife. <laughs> yes. I couldn't have said that better myself. Johnny Depp grinned at his lawyer because her joke was terribly dry. And what's more, she continued, you wrote that high so hard that I believe it rendered you incontinent. I object, I said. One shit has nothing to do with the other. Me shitting the bed at Maui Maui Christmas has nothing to do with the shit in Johnny Depp's bed. Overruled, said my stepmother. And I told her, you're not a real judge. You're not even a real mom. And one instance on Christmas and another accusation ten years later doesn't make for a really compelling pattern. And my ex-wife shot me that shit-eating grin that always sat on her face any time she knew something I didn't, which was virtually all the time. If it pleased the court, she said, we have some surprise witnesses. And I watched as one by one, the children from my grade school class crowded into the courtroom and began to laugh at me. They laughed at me the way that they'd always laughed at me, taunting me as they had ever since second grade when my parents got divorced and I began having my outbursts, screaming and howling, even pissing myself on one occasion as they loved to remind me. They reminded me every day with great relish until I finally started hitting back, starting fights in the schoolyard slapping them around with great relish, hitting them harder than their words could ever hurt me, hitting them long after their words stopped coming and their taunts were replaced with nervous chatter about how tough I was. That was fun. Even more fun was middle school when all their parents started getting divorced and I got to laugh at them. But of course by that time, I went to a new school which had new faces and slapping those faces yielded new consequences which came from the Old Testament. But here I was in court, 
looking at the old faces of the young children, and they taunted me, and they chanted, First you pee-peed, next you poo-pooed, now we're shaming, shaming you, you. And I looked at Johnny Depp's lawyer, and I saw my ex-wife's face, and she grinned. I rest my case, your honor. And I rested my head on Johnny Depp's bed as he and his wife locked their mismatched hands and danced circles around me with the children, singing along, first you pee-peed, next you doo-dooed, now we're shaming, shaming you-you. Their voices rasped, and their chatter shook the room. It shook the shit and rattled the spinach and the corn and the coffee beans until the coffee beans shattered and took root and began to bloom like weeds. With each round of their jolly taunt, the roots grew deeper, twisting and sprouting into a wretched tree, a dandelion tree, which swayed and dropped seeds to the manic rhythm of my enemy's laughter. And the dandelion tree grew wild and free and could not be contained by any room, not even Johnny Depp's. It burst through his ceiling and its branches spread into the colossal night and the tree was as large as the universe's skeleton. I wept to look at it, and I wept because I was tormented, and I wept over my divorce, and as tears smacked my cheeks, seeds from the tree smacked my tears. White dandelion seeds which rained down all around me and collected in little piles which the depths immediately tried to snort. And I hated the depths, and I hated the children who danced with them. I wanted revenge, but I had no idea what I was going to do, until a bony finger dried my eye, a frail, pale, bony finger which belonged to the nerdiest guy that you ever saw in your entire life. And standing beside him was his son who looked nerdier, and they spoke to me in unison. Hey man, are you just gonna take that? And I took a deep breath. And I said, of course. I said, excuse me, your honor. My stepmother said, what? I said, I'm ready to plead guilty. And my ex-wife said, guilty? What crimes are you willing to plead guilty to? And I said, whichever. I am guilty of whichever crimes I need to be guilty of to be done with Johnny Depp's divorce. I, I, I need to move on with my life. So you're willing to say that Amber Heard is completely innocent? Sure. That you took the shit in Johnny Depp's bed? Fine. And what of Johnny Depp's crimes? Are you guilty of those too? What did he do? I don't know. He screamed at her a bunch. He, he called her a liar. Said, uh, I'm sure he called her a bitch. And I said, yeah, I could see doing some fucked up shit like that. He was on coke, right? Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. Really? Yeah, sure. I could see, I could see saying that. I could see some saying something probably worse than Johnny Depp could say. You know, I can admit that, whether it was about Amber Heard or the love of my life, it doesn't matter anymore. I, I'm sure I said some horrible shit just like that, and that goes for everything, all of it, the shit in the bed. I, even if it seems like I have nothing to do with this shit, I played a part in some shit just like it, even though this shit with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard seems totally foreign to me, and it's full of weird fingers and coffee beans and all manner of shit that I don't relate to. I played a part in some shit just like it. I joined some chorus when some horrible shit happened to somebody, whether it was a kid at school or Chris Rock on the internet or whoever, and I dropped some shit into someone's bed who didn't want it there. And you know what? They lost sleep over it. So fine, I'm guilty. Now can we 
be done with this shit and move on to whatever's next. And I saw my ex-wife exchange a ponderous look with my stepmother. They exchanged a look with the kids from my grade school, and Amber Heard exchanged a look with them. And as I stared at all of them staring at each other, I could tell we were all really ready to move on with this shit. Until, all of a sudden, Johnny Depp made a dry remark. Beans, he said. And I said, what? Johnny Depp said, you said there were fingers and coffee beans in the shed. It's pronounced coffee beans. The rage that I felt changed my body. It created new sensations, bitter tastes in my mouth, sour tastes, but my mouth wasn't dry. Far from, you see, my mouth and indeed my entire face had become very, very sticky. I howled and I reached into the back of my throat and I grabbed a pair of scissors. I felt their weight in my hands, tough as black leather and I used them to scalp all of my grade school tormentors. And I know that sounds harsh, but it was the right thing to do. You see, I was the monster that they'd made me. And I laughed to myself. If a doo-doo monster I am, a pee-pee doo-doo monster I must be. And I began furiously feasting on the shit on Johnny Depp's bed. I tasted the corn and the spinach, and yes, trace amounts of cocaine, which heightened my relish but robbed me of my appetite. But it was perfect timing, because as I looked up from the shit, I saw Johnny Depp looking down at me. You see, he'd climbed halfway up the dandelion tree in an effort to escape my ire. <laughs> I had to laugh. I soared up the dandelion tree, climbing fast as Leo in his wildest days. I grabbed Johnny Depp by his dry mouth, and I kept climbing. I carried him to the top of the universe, where the great dandelion tree finally came to an end. And the great dandelion tree looked like the skeleton of the universe, and for a brief moment in time, Johnny Depp was that skeleton's skull. And then I slapped him hard with my scissor hands. I slapped Johnny Depp with the strength of a thousand grapes. I slapped Johnny Depp, and he plummeted to the earth as a shooting star. Thousands of white seeds and red grapes fell with him from the branches and created a picture in the stars like when the Greek gods used to hang portraits of their great heroes in the constellations. And the picture was a perfect likeness of me slapping Johnny Depp in his dry-ass coked-out mouth. And when Johnny Depp crashed down onto the earth, his dry-ass coked-out mouth crashed into Amber Heard's dry-ass coked-out mouth, and the resulting brush fire consumed the world. When I woke up in my own bed, I realized that I'd shit myself. And then the dream was over. And this shit, I mean, get better. When I say loose, I, like, pouring out a pitcher of soup, this shit was. And it hurt me to take a shit like that. It was doubly painful because I realized that this shit was not an isolated event, but a part of the poo-poo pattern of my life. But I smiled in spite of it. Because patterns, like that most fucked up of puzzles which we call love, can be broken. And though I had done done the doo-doo in my bed that day, I knew that I was done with my shit with Johnny Depp's divorce. And it didn't last long. Shit like that never does. So I held my head high after I showered. And on my way to work, I bought a t-shirt that said, I survived Johnny Depp's divorce 2022. Dress code be damned. My boss hates me anyway. 
Let him say some shit to my face. We're living in post-Will Smith slap America, and it's not a good time to be a fake tough guy.